on his choice, isn't it unjust of God to choose some and not others? Isn't that unfair? Isn't it unfair? Is God unfair? That's what is, he's anticipating. And that's the objection that he's going to talk about this week. So Romans verse, verse, uh, chapter 9, verses 14 to 18, uh, that we've read already, so I won't read it again. Uh, but this whole uh, passage is about uh, God's mercy as opposed to God's justice. And so we ask ourselves the question, what is mercy? What is God's mercy? Uh, mercy is a, it, it's a concept that, that is uh, it's different than justice, right? Uh, justice has to do uh, with God's holiness, whereas mercy has to do with God's love. We just celebrated Christmas, uh, and any of you that has more than one child uh, remembers what it's like when you're buying Christmas presents for your children. You want to be sure that they have the same number of presents and that you've spent the same amount of money on each of them, that they're all stacked up nicely around the tree so that when one child looks at the other child's stack, they don't say, hey, that, that, he got more than me. We don't want that, right? We want each child to know that we love them equally. We love them the same. We spent the same amount on them, and, and hopefully they got about the same number of gifts. Uh, we want to be sure that it's fair, just, and equal, and that's how we communicate that we love them the same. But God is not required to treat all of his children equally. And that's a hard truth, but if he were, that would mean that he would either have to save everyone or he would have to save no one. And both of those options eliminate the need for the gospel. We need the gospel. We are all sinners, and we all deserve punishment. Fairness, justice, and equality would dictate that each and every one of us be condemned to eternity in hell because we have all sinned, we have all fallen short of the glory of God, we have all offended God in many ways. And so we might say that fairness is getting what we deserve. But thank God for mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Whereas we deserve punishment, we deserve condemnation and eternity in hell, instead we get his mercy. And we know that since we're all sinners, it's, it's just, fair, and equal for God to send each and every one of us to hell, but mercy is when God chooses to extend a gift to some of us uh, who will receive it. God initiates a work in us, and he causes us to recognize that we are sinners in need of a savior, and he gives us the faith that we need, regenerating our spirit so that we will receive Jesus Christ as our savior. And so when we say that God shows mercy, it means that God gives some of us what we don't, or what we don't deserve. He gives some of us what we don't deserve. That's right. He gives us the exact opposite of what we do deserve. And so what it means is that he not only withholds punishment from us, on the one hand, but he also credits to our account the righteousness that we need to enter the kingdom of God, which is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so uh, he gives mercy. He gives us so much more. Uh, some have said that mercy is getting what we or is not getting what we do deserve, while grace is getting what we don't deserve. And so using that definition, we can see that that mercy and grace are very closely related. Uh, both are 100% undeserved, and both are exclusively and sovereignly within God's providence to give. And so we see in this passage uh, what mercy is. We also see that God is free to grant mercy 
at his sole discretion. We love a God of mercy. We want a God of mercy for ourselves. We would all be lost, eternally lost, if not for mercy. But many people, some people outside the church, uh, would question God's integrity. Uh, they would say uh, that it's not fair. It, it's, it shows God's lack of integrity by showing mercy to some and not showing mercy to others. And even for those inside the church, you know, for, for you and I, we have family members who are not saved, and then that breaks our heart. Why, God, would you choose to show mercy to me and, and not to my, my brother, my sister, my father, my mother, uh, my kids, whoever? Uh, this idea is very difficult, why God would show mercy to some and not others. Uh, so we ask ourselves, why? Why doesn't God show mercy to everyone? And we have to come to the conclusion is that it's because God is sovereign and his standards are not like our standards. And what we think is fair is not what God necessarily thinks is fair or just. And God is sovereign to decide who he shows mercy to. So throughout the Bible, what we see is that God loves every one of his children. If we look through the Bible, we find that that is so. But we also see that God loves some with a special electing love that he does not show to all, that he only shows to his elect. And we have no right to question God's integrity because he chooses to be merciful to some and not merciful to others. So think about it like this. If God showed mercy to everyone, then it would become a duty, an expectation. It would be an entitlement on our behalf. Uh, he would be obligated and we would be entitled. And that's not how God's mercy works. If God chooses to give his mercy to one and not to another, he's not unjust because he's not required to show mercy to anyone. And that's why when Paul asked the question, uh, there is no injustice with God, is there? He answers in the, the strongest possible Greek negation. It's, it's meganoito in the Greek, which means may it never be, uh, impossible, have you lost your mind, something like that, like as strong as you can imagine. Uh, so that is what he's talking about. Of course, God is not unjust. He's perfectly just. He's God. Justice is part of his nature. It's part of his character. And yet at the same time, so is mercy. So as I said, uh, God's justice corresponds to his holiness. He has to punish sin. He can't stand the presence of sin. But at the same time, his mercy corresponds to his love. And so he chooses to give that mercy to some, that special electing love he chooses to give to some. And so uh, when we think, is God unjust, we should not think of it in terms of our human standards of fairness because he's not obligated to show this mercy to a single one of us. In fact, if God decided to show mercy to only one person on the entire planet, he would not be unjust. That's one more person than who deserves it. And if he should choose to show mercy to everybody on the whole planet except one, he would still not be unjust because he's not required to show mercy to anyone. God will have mercy on whom he has mercy and compassion on whom he has compassion. And we get into dangerous territory when as human beings we start to question God's integrity, God's fairness, God's justice, whether God treats everyone equally. Think about it like this. Was it fair for Jesus, though he never sinned, to die on a cross to pay for my sin and to pay for your sin? 
Of course not. That's not fair. We should die for our own sins, right? And, and when we talk about fairness in human uh, terms, that would be fair. Uh, but that's not the kind of fairness that we want. When we talk about God's justice and fairness, we don't want his justice and fairness. We want his mercy, because if not, uh, we would be doomed to eternity in hell. So praise God for his mercy. And we also have to recognize that as fallible human beings, we have vastly different ideas of what justice and fairness and equality is. That's why our country is in the mess it is, right? We all have different opinions about poverty, welfare, immigration, abortion, any social issue, you name it. Uh, we're polar opposites in a lot of ways. We don't know uh, what is fair because we judge from fallible human standards, and that's why we have so much disagreement. Uh, when we think about justice and fairness and how you know, we are so sure that we're right about these particular things, and then the other side, polar opposite from we, what, we, what, what we think, they're absolutely positive that they are right. Who decides who is right? Well, only God has the perfect idea of justice and fairness. And so the only true and un, unchanging standard is God's, and his standards are absolute and true. And so the potter has no right, uh, the clay has no right to say to the potter, why did you make me this way? Uh, the, the, the potter has the absolute right to decide, and God has the absolute right to give mercy to whoever he wants because he is sovereign and because we are his subjects, not the other way around. And so Paul laid out this principle of sovereignty uh, in chapter 9, verse 11, for, for though the twins were not yet born and had done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose in election would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. We see him repeat this principle here again uh, in verse uh, 15 and 16. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, compassion on whom I have compassion. And so it does not depend on the one who wills or the one who runs, but on God who has mercy well, who is this one who wills? It's the person who wants to be saved, but doesn't want God in the process. Uh, he wants to be saved in his own power, and his own strength. Now, that person will never be saved, but there is no one, there is no person who has ever lived, who has come to God, saying to God, I want to be saved, uh, and I ask for, for salvation uh, based on faith, uh, not because of anything I have done, but because of what you have done. That person will never be denied salvation, but we will never want to be saved unless God first does a work in us. And so again, the paradox of, of how we are saved, uh, God initiating in us and yet us making a decision at the same time. But no amount of willing on our part outside of God's work could ever make salvation so because salvation is not initiated by us, right? Salvation is initiated by God who does a work in us and causes us to be saved. Well, who is the one who runs? The one who runs is the one who is working. Running is a metaphor for work here. Uh, salvation is not based on one's effort. We are never going to be saved because we gave money to the poor or because we were baptized or because we kept the law or because we were nice to other people or because we belonged to a certain political party. None of those things save. There is nothing in us that merits salvation, and that's why salvation is a gift of God's mercy. That's why we need God's mercy, because it's not anything that we can earn. And so many people have eternally perished because they thought, well, I'm a good person. And we have to just get that notion out of our heads. There are no good people. There are only sinners who are desperately in need of God's grace and mercy. 
which God in his sole discretion is free to give or withhold as he wants. And that's why Paul quoted Exodus uh, chapter 33, verse 19 here. This is a quote from uh, the Exodus passage, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and compassion on whom I have compassion. Now, uh, God spoke these words to Moses after the golden calf incident, when Moses complained that these people were stubborn and they, they wouldn't listen to him. Uh, and and uh, he was pleading for mercy uh, from God. He said, God, show me your glory. And God said, I will show you my glory. And he put him in the cleft of a rock and he said, I will show you my back because no man can see my face and live. So God decided to show mercy to Moses and that's God's prerogative. He is permitted to do that. He's free to give it to who he wills, and he's free to withhold it from whom he wills as well. So he gives it to, to, to uh, Moses on the one hand, but on the other hand, he withholds his mercy from Pharaoh. And so we come to the tough part. God is free to deny his mercy as well at his sole discretion. Why would God ever deny mercy to someone it's such a hard question. Uh, you know, we, most of us, I would imagine here, all of us, I hope, are saved. And the danger in being saved is that we think that there must be something in us. This is what our pride does. Our pride says, there must be something in me that makes God look down on me and smile with favor of how great and how wonderful I am. And that's why he has chosen me uh, to be among his elect. And conversely, when we look at other people, we look at them and we say, well, this great thing that I have, that, that God loves so much about me, which is why he chose me, that person, that unbeliever doesn't have that. And so that person, God passes over. God chooses not to show that person his mercy. And as soon as we start thinking like that, what have we done? We have looked to ourselves for salvation, and we have taken credit for our salvation, and we have decided that there is something about us that merits salvation. And that is an easy, it's an easy, it's easy thing to do to fall into that way of thinking. Uh, but that is so far from how God operates. There is absolutely nothing in us that is worthy of God's favor. God just chooses to give that mercy. He chose to, gave it to, to, to give it to Moses. He chose not to give it to Pharaoh. And so what we see is that the giving of mercy and the withholding of mercy are solely in God's discretion to exercise as he chooses. And we've also learned that God has made that decision since before we were born so that we could never make a claim that we deserve it or say that someone else didn't deserve it. The fact is that there are some people who God simply will not choose to show his mercy. He passes them over. And why does God do that? Why does God choose to pass some people over? Well, God has a purpose for each one of us. It's God's prerogative. That's why God says uh, to Pharaoh, to, uh, in Scripture about Pharaoh, for this purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, so that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. And if we look at that Exodus story, we see that God's power was proclaimed throughout the whole earth because of his dealings with Pharaoh. You'll remember... Moses wanted no part of Pharaoh, right? He wanted no part of going to Egypt to talk to Pharaoh. He thought of every conceivable reason that crossed his mind to get out of this. Uh, did not want to go see Pharaoh at all to tell Pharaoh to release God's people. And on top of his own personal reasons for not wanting to go, God even said, he's not going to listen to you. So it's going to be a fruitless venture, at least in your own power. 
So there were not a whole lot of people, I bet, standing up, you know, lining up, saying, God, send me in that situation. And Moses didn't want to do it either. Uh, but then Moses went, and God went with him, and, and, and God rained down plague after plague on the Egyptians and Pharaoh, each one designed by God to show his superiority over these pagan gods of Egypt. And then as these plagues were falling down on uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, uh, many of, after many of the plagues, uh, Pharaoh promised Moses, lift this plague, ask your God to, to lift this plague from us, and I will free your people. And then as soon as the plague was lifted, uh, Pharaoh reneged on the deal, and then God sent another plague. And each time that happened until God sent the plague of the firstborn, uh, that the firstborn of Egypt in every household would die on the night that came to be called Passover. And then Pharaoh finally released the Israelites, but not for long. They escaped into the desert. Pharaoh changed his mind. He went out, wanted to kill all the Israelites in the desert, and there are the Israelites pinned up against the Red Sea on one side and Pharaoh's army behind them, and it looked like curtains until God parted the Red Sea. The Israelites walked through the Red Sea on dry land, and when the Egyptians tried to follow, the sea covered them, and they were drowned. God's purpose for Pharaoh was to show his power in opposition to Pharaoh, that he was greater than the greatest ruler on earth and greater than the gods of the greatest ruler on earth. And the story of, of Moses and Pharaoh is told uh, throughout the Bible. It was told from generation to generation to generation among the Israelites. Uh, it was told in the other nations as well. Remember when uh, Joshua was going to go into the promised land and they sent the spies ahead of them. Uh, Rahab and the pagan people of Jericho had already heard about this story and they were terrified of the God of Israel. And Rahab and her whole household were saved when they uh, hid the spies and trusted in Israel's God. And Rahab is one of the women in Jesus's ancestry. And that can all be traced back to God's purposes for Pharaoh. The Bible mentions Edom, uh, mentions Moab and several other nations, people who feared the Lord and were awed by what God had done. So God's plan was to use Pharaoh, not that he would be saved, but that others would be saved through the story. Well, does that make God unjust? Why not save Pharaoh? Well, why couldn't God's miracles have turned Pharaoh's heart aside too, so that he too would be saved? Well, the scripture says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's heart hardened against the Israelites. And if we took time to read the entire story of the Exodus, what we would see is that uh, the, the Pharaoh's heart, uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart on the one hand, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart on the other hand. So uh, we all have this predisposition to a hardened heart, and it takes a work of God to do something about that hardening of heart. Uh, the scripture in Exodus says over and over again, Pharaoh's heart was hardened against the Israelites and Pharaoh hardened his heart. And so the difference is the one who is doing the hardening. Pharaoh is hardening his own heart and at the same time, judicially as punishment, God is hardening Pharaoh's heart in response to Pharaoh hardening his own heart. And so we have on the one hand, this uh, Pharaoh hardening his own heart is an act of his own will while yet ordained since before time began, since God chooses who are his elect. Uh, but Pharaoh, from his perspective, he's hardening his own heart. And in response, God is hardening Pharaoh's heart 
uh, to the extent uh, that he's not able to respond. It's a judicial act of punishment against Pharaoh. And so this should not be unfamiliar to us. We uh, were in Romans 1 about a year ago now, and we were talking about those folks in, in Romans chapter 1 uh, that Paul wrote about who condemned, uh, who Paul condemned for suppressing the truth about God, even though God had made that truth evident to them. They knew about God, but they did not honor God, and they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And therefore, it says, three times it says, God gave them over to their depraved minds and passions. They hardened themselves until God gave them over to the hardening that they desired. Now, could these Romans 1 people have been saved? Is that possible? Could Pharaoh have been saved? Well, from God's side of the coin of salvation, the answer is no, because since before the foundation of the earth, God chooses who are his elect and who are not, and they were passed over from all eternity. But on the other hand, there is never a place in scripture where it says that God hardened someone's heart whose heart was not already being hardened by themselves. And so they are responsible for their own condemnation because they failed to respond to the revelation that they were given. And so this is the mystery of salvation, and this is what we're wrestling with today. Uh, the scriptural evidence shows that God is sovereign in all that he does. He chooses who are his elect, and there's nothing unjust about it. Since Satan was cast out of heaven, since he rebelled against God, and since Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, uh, and sin and death entered the world, each and every one of us is born with this sin nature. We are naturally predisposed to be enemies with God. We don't want God in our natural conditions. And so when God passes us over, he's only leaving his creatures to what they already want, which is to live apart from God. And so mercy is just an act of God changing someone's heart. And on the other side of the coin of salvation, our responsibility is to choose him. Uh, Pharaoh, the people of Romans 1, they did not choose God. Uh, those who sent Jesus to the cross did not choose him. Judas did not choose Jesus, and so they all bear the responsibility of their choice. And so we were just left with these parallel tracks of God's sovereignty on the one hand and human responsibility on the other hand, and they are not contradictory. They're a mystery, a paradox. They're both true, even though we can't reconcile them or understand them in our own finite minds. Uh, I read a tweet the other day from uh, a professor at DTS by the name of Michael Spiegel, who many of you may know, uh, and he wrote this, orthodoxy holds two or more truths in tension. Heresies relieve the tension. And I just think that is a brilliant quote because it's absolutely true. We are not comfortable with the, holding the tension necessarily, that it, it all depends on God and yet we have to make a decision. But the heresy resolves the tension in ways that are not true. Uh, on the one hand, uh, we might say, well, we're all inherently good and we can all make the decision. We don't need God to do anything in our lives. We can just choose. And that is not true. And on the other side, uh, we might say, well, we bear no responsibility because it's all up to God, and so we don't have to worry about anything. We don't have a decision to make. But over and over again, the scriptures blame unbelievers for their condemnation. So this idea of sovereignty on the one hand and responsibility on the other side 
is very difficult for us to reconcile. And this is deep theological stuff. I don't know if it gets any deeper than this. So we can wrestle with this all we want, and we're never going to reconcile it. We can you know, argue all we want until the cows come home, and we're not going to have an answer to this question. And yet, both of these things are true. But here's the important thing. Here's what I want us to know. God will never turn away anyone who comes to him recognizing his sinful and lost condition, who comes to God confessing his sin and confessing his need for a savior and pleading with God to be saved from the punishment that they are due for their sin. God will never, ever turn that person away. If God seems unfair because he doesn't save everyone, well, just remember that justice requires that he save no one. And so this mercy is a gift. It's the most supreme act of mercy imaginable that God would send his own son to die on a cross for our sins to provide us with the mercy that we need to be saved. It's so completely undeserved that we could never boast about it and we can only give God the glory for it. So when we receive it by faith, by believing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and then rose from the dead, we are saved. That's it. It's so simple and yet so profound at the same time. So God is not unjust. He's perfectly just, and we could never judge him by our own human standards, which are we're perfectly fallible, as, as fallible as we could be, trying to judge a perfect God. So we don't have to worry about judging God. All we need to do is ask the question, have we trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior? So I'll ask you, have you? Have you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation? And If you have, then you have nothing to worry about in 2021. You have nothing to fear from COVID. You have nothing to fear about what's going to happen in politics. You have nothing to fear. You are saved. You are elect, and you will be in heaven for all eternity. You know, when, when Tom Brady chose to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year, it was because Tampa Bay wanted him, and he wanted Tampa Bay. So think about salvation like that. When God's desire for us and our desire for him meet, salvation happens. It takes both. We don't have to understand that, but it takes both. We have to want him, and he has to want us. And so you don't need to worry about how to reconcile sovereignty and responsibility. Just believe, and you're elect. And, and tell your friends, just believe, and you're elect. You don't have to wrestle with these things. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Then you are among God's elect. Well, I started out by asking the question, is God unjust? So let's just answer with two quick applications. No, God is not unjust. God is just. God is perfectly just. Um, if we were to evaluate God by our human standards, the only one who God treated unjustly was Jesus Christ. Evaluating by human standards, right? Uh, from our perspective, uh, Jesus, uh, from our perspective, we are the ones who deserve the punishment, but Jesus got the punishment. And that's not fair, the way we think about things. Jesus is God. Jesus is perfect. Jesus never did anything wrong. He never sinned once. He came to the earth in the form of a baby and lived this sinless life, which qualified him to be the sacrifice that we need in order for us to gain our salvation. And so he offers us what we could never attain for ourselves, the perfect righteousness that we need to get into heaven. But God had to punish Jesus in order to give us the mercy that we need. Well, is God unjust? Well, certainly not to us. 
to us, he's been more than fair. He's given us way more than we could ever ask or deserve. And Jesus took the punishment that we deserve on himself because of his great love for us. So God is perfectly just. And just because God's election is true, and just because God is sovereign, God's sovereignty does not relieve our responsibility to share the gospel. I'm sure you've heard it said, well, if if God chooses his elect, and if all his elect will be saved, then there is no need to evangelize. And that is not true. We are his instruments, his chosen instruments, to bring the gospel throughout the world. That's why the Great Commission exists, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them uh, all that I have commanded, uh, and obeying, and lo, I'll be with you until the end of the age, right? He sent his original disciples out, and he sends us out as well. God uses people like you and me to tell others the good news so that his purposes in election will be fulfilled. And this is just another way that God is merciful to us. He's gracious to us uh, that he allows us to participate in the salvation of his elect. And there are going to be people in heaven someday who are going to thank you and thank me. I hope they'll come up to us and say, you played a part. You're partly uh, the reason why I believed and why I'm here. And since we don't know who's elect and who isn't, we act like it all depends on us even though we know it all depends on God. So this is the first Sunday of 2021, and I would like to propose a New Year's resolution for each and every one of us. I would like each of us to resolve to try to bring one other person into the kingdom this year. Of course, we don't control who believes and who doesn't. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But our work is to preach the word, to to preach the good news, And I pray that at the end of 2021, December 31st, 2021, we can look back on this year, 2021, and say, uh, you know, I think I had a a part. I I, I had a role in bringing my brother, my sister, my father, my kid, whoever, to Christ. Wouldn't that be an incredible thing to be able to say at the end of this year? And that's the role that God has given us in saving people, in, in, in showing them God's mercy Uh, in giving them uh, what they don't deserve uh, and so that they they get the mercy that they don't deserve rather than the justice that they do. And I pray that that'll be something that we can keep on our minds and hearts uh, every week during this new year. God is not unjust. He loves us. He wants each and every one of us to come to repentance. So let's do our part by being sure that we're preaching the word uh, to those who need to hear it. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, this passage is very difficult. And uh, Lord, when we consider uh, that some people will not be saved, that some will be passed over, that is absolutely heartbreaking to us. Lord, help us to be the instruments uh, that you will use to to bring people into your kingdom, Lord. And Lord, we just pray that this year uh, will be a year where we can all look back and, and say we had some role to play in expanding your kingdom because that's why you left us here, Lord, to fulfill the Great Commission. Lord, I pray that uh, as 2021 uh, moves along, uh, that we will take it seriously. Uh, And we've learned with uh, COVID and uh, other diseases that exist on the earth that life is short, Lord, and we don't know how much time we have. So I pray that we would uh, learn to spread the word with more urgency, Lord, and that we would be able to uh, bring people to saving faith uh, through your Holy Spirit who does the saving work, Lord. Help us to be the instruments. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.